0: I don't think any one of us can truly understand how deep Your love truly is for us. But to whatever degree we can, Lord, allow us to sense that, to feel it, to know it in the depths of our being that You do truly love us. And God, as such a message that is, it is our heart to see that told to those outside the church, outside the four walls of this place that You love everyone. God, I thank You that we can be a part of sharing that with City Church up the street on Garland. I thank You for Pastor Mike Fairburn and what he's doing there. Lord, I thank You for the heartbeat they have for outreach, for the ways in which they are reaching into their community and bringing people to the Lord, showing them the love of Christ. God, this morning I ask as He is asking that You would give them the joy of serving God, may none of them serve out of obligation, but out of a response of Your love for them. As they are out on the streets sharing, sharing Your love, as they are in neighborhoods' homes sharing Your love, may, be, may they be sharing out of the sheer joy that You give. And God, as a, as a church that, that values outreach, we know so often it can be tough to build community inside with the gathered people. So we ask alongside Pastor Mike that you would help them build community well with their fellow brothers and sisters who have a, who have a heartbeat to reach out. May they be reaching across the seats as well as across the, the, the streets. So we ask you help them do that well, Lord. We ask you bless the ministry at City Church. May many come to know the love of Christ through them. God, this morning as First Church, we thank you for your love for us as well. We thank you for the way you care for us, for the way you take care of us. And God, this morning, we need to lay before you Jerry Prophet and his family. Lord God, we need your touch on them with this diagnosis of leukemia yesterday. We ask that you would reach down. And God, first and foremost, cover them, surround them with your love. Surround Jerry, surround Colleen, surround the rest of the family. And God, we ask for a healing. We have seen it done here in this church before. We ask again, Father, that as Jerry gets treatments, that the doctors would be blown away at how you take away this leukemia. God, we want you to be given all glory, all praise and all honor. And we thank you that even through sickness, that can be the case. We thank You, Father, for our time and worship and song this morning. And as we go towards worship in the Word, we ask that our hearts and our minds and our ears would be open to what You have to say. We thank You for this traveling missions team who is joining us, sharing what You are doing around the world. We ask You bless their time in, in the Word with us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we are truly blessed to have the Traveling Missions team with us. This is an organization that's been meeting in churches and college campuses for over 14 years. And it is their heartbeat to share with us in the college campuses around what God is doing globally. We're excited this morning to have with us Sean, Meredith, Ty, and Carrie. Sean, come share with us what, uh, what God is doing through your ministry and what God is doing globally. We're glad to have you here.
1: Thank you, James. Good morning. Well, uh, just like James said, we're the traveling team. And uh, my name is Sean, so thanks for letting us come and share with you guys. And uh, just like James said, um, we are what's called a mobilization ministry. And we travel all across the United States, primarily speaking from campus to campus. And from time to time, we get the opportunity to come speak at a church. Um, Really about what God's word has to say about what he's doing to reach people from all over the world. And so that's exactly what we're going to talk about this morning. And I want to take just a couple minutes to tell you a little bit about myself, um, what it has to do with you guys this morning, and what we're going to talk about in God's Word. And so, uh, growing up, you guys, I was raised in a textbook blue-collar home. And get this, my dad's idea of fun would often be to take me out on the weekends um, and make me help him cut wood. (laughs) And uh, I remember being about seven years old, running a chainsaw, looking at my dad saying, hey, what are we doing out here? And my dad would often tell me growing up as a young kid, he would say, Sean, here's what you need to know about life. You need to grow up, you need to go to college, you need to get a great degree so that you can get a great paying job so that you can pay somebody to cut your wood. And I said, Dad, that's genius. Um, And so it just made sense to me. So whenever I graduated high school and headed into college, um, I was chasing this thing called the American dream. And if you don't mind, DJ, you can turn me down just a little bit. Um, I was chasing this thing called the American dream. It's what my family was telling me to do. It's what my culture was telling me to do. It's what my friends were doing. Just settle into this comfortable American lifestyle. And don't do anything too risky or too bold for Jesus. And what ended up happening, you guys, whenever I came into college, if I could have summed up my entry into collegiate life, I would have summed it up in three really simple statements. Me, my agenda... And just a little bit of God, if I could squeeze him into my plans. And my pursuit of the American dream sort of went off like a hand grenade. Uh, My sophomore year of college, when this campus minister sat me down and said, Sean, let me share something with you. Life's not about you and your agenda. In fact, you probably need to get over yourself. (laughs) And I said, I don't know who you think you are. Only people like my mother talk to me like that. And this guy was pretty serious. And he said, Sean, life's not about you and your agenda. Life is about God. And God's agenda, and God's agenda is very simple. It's making his son Jesus Christ known worldwide among every tongue, tribe, language, nation, and people on the planet. And he looked at me and he said, Sean, if you call yourself a Christian, uh, then this idea of global missions, it's not the Christian elective, it's the Christian expectation. And if you wave the banner of Jesus Christ over your life, then you're going to follow your captain's commands to go, disciples of all the nations. And then he took the Bible and he started in Genesis and he walked from Genesis all the way to Revelation, cover to cover, unfolding for me what God's word had to say about God's agenda to make his son Jesus known on a worldwide scale. And so what we want you guys to see this morning is that God's plan to reach the world. It's not the traveling team's idea. okay? it's not Sean's idea. It's not James's idea. It's not First Free's idea. It's King Jesus's idea. And if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, then you have a part to play in what we're going to talk about this morning. And what we want you to understand is that this morning is not the token missions talk. This morning is Christianity 101. Okay, this morning is Christianity 101. And so we're going to walk this morning, if you can believe this, from Genesis to Revelation. We're going to try to get it done, okay, in about uh, 35 minutes. So before we dive into God's Word in Genesis chapter 1, let me pray for us. And then we're going to unfold God's story for you from Genesis to Revelation, showing you what His plan is to make Jesus known on a worldwide scale. And we're going to invite you in to be a part of it. So, Father, thank you for a chance to share. Do empower me to speak and empower your people to listen. If you don't do something here this morning, nothing's going to happen. If you don't work through me and if you don't work through these people, then this seed... We'll fall on bad soil. You brought us here because, God, I know you want to feed your sheep. And so, open up their eyes, open up their mouths, and grant me grace to speak and teach. Apart from you, we can do nothing. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we're going to get started, you guys, right where God gets started in Genesis chapter 1. And in Genesis chapter 1, there are two people on the planet, Adam and who? Good, it's not a trick question. And God comes to them in Genesis 1:28, and he gives them the very first commandment in Scripture. And this is what it says. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is the very first commandment that God gives mankind in Scripture. Um, it's also about the only one that we've managed to keep. Okay? And so God comes to Adam and Eve and says, Adam and Eve, you can talk about what that means later. Um, and so God comes to Adam and Eve and says, Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. Now, at this point in the story, you guys, there is no sin between God and mankind. They're living in a perfect relationship with one another. And so when God comes to Adam and Eve and says, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, he's saying this, Adam and Eve, as you populate the earth physically with your children and your descendants, I want you to teach them and train them what it means to know and worship me. And as you teach and train your children what it means to know and worship me, and you fill the earth physically with your descendants, what you'll be doing is populating the earth spiritually with full of people who know and worship me. That's what God wants, is a planet full of people who know and worship Him. But by the time we get to Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says that man sins, and they sever their relationship with God. By the time we get to Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, the Bible says that every intention in mankind's heart was only set on evil all the time. Utter wickedness fills the earth, six chapters into the Bible. So in Genesis... God floods the earth, he basically hits the reset button and he starts over with the second family And it says this God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful, multiply And do what? Fill the earth Notice we're not even ten chapters into the entire Bible and twice already God has said Fill the earth Fill the earth God's command is clear but we also know at this point in the story that mankind is sinful, rebellious, and disobedient towards the living God. And so by the time we come to Genesis chapter 11, we come to this story called the Tower of Babel. let me tell you what's going on 11 chapters in it. It says this, now the whole earth uh, had one language and a common speech. So get this, you guys, no matter where you went on planet earth, everybody was speaking one language, English. <laughs> and as men moved eastward, they found a plain... That's what historians think it was. And as men moves eastward, uh, they found a plain in Shinar and they settled there. And they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower that reaches to the sky uh, so that we might make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. God said, do what? Fill the earth. Fill the earth. God says, go. And mankind says, what? No. That's a good idea, God. We'll just stay right here. Just in case you missed it, this is direct disobedience towards the living God. Direct disobedience towards the living God. And so, what is God's response? God says, Go. Mankind says, No. And so, God responds and says, This. Next slide, Ty. Oh, I didn't have that slide in there. This is what the Lord does. Sorry about that. You guys were all, you were just waiting on the edge of your seats this there's this missing slide in there the Lord confuses their language he comes down confuses their language and he scatters them and he spreads them out okay all over the earth and so mankind is speaking all of these different languages they're spread out all over the earth but the question is this what is God going to do okay there it is and the Lord said come let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other so the Lord scattered them there over the face of the whole earth and they stopped in the tower now before everybody was speaking one language what was it English, good, you guys are awake, that's excellent. (laughs) English, okay, now we go from one language uh, to multiple languages and God spreads mankind out all over the earth. In fact, right here in Genesis 11, 7, 8, this is actually where we get all of the known languages today, okay? English, Spanish, Mandarin, French, rap, they all come from the Tower of Babel. (laughs) And so the question is this, what is God going to do to gather mankind back to himself? That's what he wants, is a people gathered to himself who know him, praise him, worship him and adore him. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, leave your people, and leave your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. God's going to pick one guy, a guy by the name of Abram, and he's going to use this one guy to start the gathering process. The Bible tells us that Abram is 75 years old. When God interrupts his life, tells him to leave his land and his loved ones, and go to a land that God will show him. Would you please, if you aren't offended by this, raise your hand if you are 75 years or older? Let me see him. Uh, I don't think so. I caught somebody back in the back. but you're looking pretty good for 75. God comes to this guy named Abram. He's 75. In America, we call that retirement. I don't know that he's looking to go anywhere. And God interrupts his life and says, leave. Move. pack <laughs> up. Leave your land and your loved ones. Go to the land that I will show you. The command is clear. Get out. But then listen to what he goes on to promise him. Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Ever curses you, I will curse And Abram, don't miss the yellow part down on the bottom. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Abraham, I'm not out to ruin your life by asking you to leave. I'm actually out to bless you and hook you up. But the blessings are not for you, Abraham. You're being blessed in order to be a blessing, ultimately to be a blessing to all peoples of the earth. And the ultimate blessing that God's talking about right here is the gospel. It's the good news that what mankind messed up back in Genesis chapter 3 when they chose to sin, God is going to fix When he sends Jesus Christ down through Abraham's family line thousands of years from now. And the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is going to step onto the scene. Fully God and fully man. He's going to live the perfect, sinless life that none of us in this room, including myself, have ever got a shot at living. He's going to march to the cross and die the death that we deserve to die for our sins. He's going to live the life we could never live. Die the death we deserve to die, buried in the grave. Three days later, God the Father is going to raise him from the dead, proving to the world that he's exactly who he said he was. And then God goes on to promise that whoever, whoever will turn away from their sins and put their faith and trust in who Jesus is and what he accomplished on the cross, God says, I will forgive you of your sins, wipe your slate clean, and give you life forever with me. That blessing is eventually going to make its way to all peoples of the earth. And I want you guys to see how this promise continues through Abraham's family line. Abraham has a son named Isaac, and God says, Isaac, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Isaac has a son named Jacob, and God says, Jacob, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. And so this is what we might kind of call like the first missionary family in the world. And God's going to take this family, and with this family, He's going to set His agenda in motion for the rest of Scripture to start gathering all nations of the earth back to Himself. And we're going to look at several Old Testament and New Testament examples of God beginning to fulfill this promise that He made to Abraham. And the question we want to be asking is, what is God doing to gather the nations back to Himself? The first Old Testament example that we're going to look at is the Ten Commandments. Why did God give the Ten Commandments to the nation of Israel? Listen to what Moses says. Israel, observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and your understanding to who? The nations. nations. When God gave the Ten Commandments to the nation of Israel, He said, Israel, obey them. Because as you obey them, you put my character on display for a watching world to see. When God gave the Ten Commandments to the nation of Israel, it was way bigger than just Israel. Okay, There were global implications involved. When Israel was obedient, the world was watching. And the world got a glimpse of what God was like when Israel was obedient. We see it not only in the Ten Commandments. Raise your hand if you're familiar with the story of the parting of the Red Sea and the stopping of the River Jordan. Why did God... Part the Red Sea. If you ask the Israelites, they would say, so that we might be saved. (laughs) 430 years of Egyptian oppression. God did it because He loved us. That's true. But listen to what Joshua says to the people of Israel. The children of Israel when they enter into the Promised Land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea... Why? So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. Israel, it wasn't just for you. I didn't save you just for you. I did it so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord was mighty. You know, a couple weeks ago... um, We typically drive around in this uh, Dodge Caravan as we go from place to place to place. Any minivan owners in the room? Yeah. (laughs) I'm not even a parent yet, and I've already got a minivan. Um, It's crazy. And so around typically in this Dodge caravan, Uh, but from time to time, um, I'll do some flying as I travel and speak, and a couple weeks ago, Meredith and I flew from Seattle, Washington um, over to Des Moines, Iowa to do a talk at another church there, and we had a connecting flight in Dallas-Fort Worth at DFW, and I don't know, has anybody ever flown into DFW? Maybe a few of you, okay, Um, and what's interesting is every single time I fly into DFW, I think about this passage, and here's why. When the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, there was probably somewhere between two and three million Israelites that crossed the Red Sea. You know, we read the Exodus like it's a 15-minute event a lot of times. We're like, they're they're in Egypt, they're out of Egypt. They're in Egypt, they're out of Egypt. They're in Egypt, they're out of Egypt. But we forget that somewhere between two and three million people Cross the Red Sea. Can you imagine the greater metro area of Dallas, Texas? Two million people crossing a dry Mississippi river to go down to Florida and be snowbirds or something. I don't know. Can you imagine seeing something like that? If you, who was watching when the Israelites crossed the Red Sea? The world. We see God gather himself, not only examples like the Ten Commandments, the parting of the Red Sea in the River Jordan. Heard of the story of David and Goliath? Little guy defeats the nine-foot killing machine, right? Listen to what David says to Goliath. This day I will strike you down, remove your head from you, give the dead bodies of the Philistines to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the earth. <laughs> David's probably somewhere between 12 and 14 years old. Okay, he has just sprouted his first little armpit hair. Okay? <laughs> Put that into context. And this is what he says to Goliath. I mean, I didn't grow up in church. You know, I heard this story from time to time whenever I went to church with elementary school friends. And the moral of the story went something like this. Trust in the Lord and He can defeat the giants in your life. Is that a true statement? You bet it is. But why did God allow this small little shepherd boy to slaughter this nine-foot killing machine? Here's why. so that all the earth might know that there was a God in Israel. The story, you guys, has very little to do with David and very little to do with Goliath. And it has everything to do with the God who is behind orchestrating the entire event. It was one more way... God put himself on front page world news and say to a watching world, I am the living God. We see it in the Ten Commandments, the parting of the Red Sea, the stopping of the River Jordan, David and Goliath. Eventually, David takes the seat on the throne of Israel to become their king. And he has many sons, and one of his sons is named Solomon. And God comes to Solomon whenever he's very young. It's says, Solomon, ask me whatever you want, and it's yours. And Solomon says, Lord, give me what? You guys know? Give me wisdom. God grants him wisdom, but Why? Here's why. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his great wisdom. When God gave King Solomon his wisdom, God knew that the nations would come knock on King Solomon's front door and they would say, hey, King Solomon, we hear that you are the wisest person on the planet. We have traveled thousands of miles just to hear from you. The Queen of Sheba traveled travel over 1,200 miles from Yemen north to Jerusalem just to sit at his feet. This is pre-airplane days. Okay, that's a long camel ride. Just to sit at his feet. And when the nations came to King Solomon's front doorstep and they tell us what is the beginning of wisdom, King Solomon would look them in the face and say, the beginning of wisdom is what? To fear God. Get on your face and worship the God who spoke the universe into existence. Let me illustrate what that might have looked like. Nothing Universe. Did you see it? It was fast. (laughs) Nothing, universe. Like that. He just said it and it came into existence. And Solomon is saying to the nations, Fear that God. Fear that God. We see it, you guys, not only in the Ten Commandments, the parting of the Red Sea, the drying up of the River Jordan, David and Goliath, King Solomon and his wisdom. We don't even have time to tell you about Daniel and the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the ten plagues that fell on Egypt, Nehemiah and the wall, over and over and over and over again. God is demonstrating who He is to the world, and He is gathering the nations to Himself. It's all over in the book of Psalms. Uh, You guys are probably familiar with this. Psalm 46.10. I'll get it started and you see if you can't help me finish it. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Um, You know, in the last four and a half plus years, by God's good grace, um, I've had the chance to travel and speak in 46 states in the continental U.S. And I have seen this verse, you guys, plastered on everything you can possibly imagine. Okay, from Christian t-shirts, Find China to house decorations that hang over the back of people's toilets. It's probably a good place to be still. And it's interesting as I have traveled over and over and over from place to place to place. You know, a couple semesters back we were traveling through Wisconsin and we were speaking to this church and we came in and there's this great big picture. My coworker took this picture with his phone and Be still and know that I'm God mist on the water canoes down in the corner peaceful quiet serene let me read for you if you have your bibles open to psalm 46:10 if you have your bibles open to psalm 46:10 <clears throat> Let me read for you what this verse says. Psalm 46:10 Says be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, God says. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. God says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Who knew? That there was a part two. Who knew that there was a part two that said this? I will be exalted among the nations, God says. I will be exalted in the earth. Welcome to American Christianity, you guys. Part one, (laughs) that makes me feel good, that kind of helps get me through the week. But part two, the part that demands some responsibility and some accountability for what it means to be a Christian and to exalt Jesus' name among the nations, maybe. I know it's hard truth, but we've got to hear it. <laughs> part one, yeah. <laughs> Hang it over the fireplace, put it on the t shirt. Part two, that's the part that says, okay, now that you've sat still and you know who I am, go tell the world if it costs you your life. We see it not only in Psalm 46.10, Psalm sixty seven, one and 2. It says this, May God be gracious to us, bless us, and make His face to shine upon us. You may have heard this passage in a benediction, right? May God be gracious to us Bless us, make His face to shine upon us. Us, 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 me, me, me. But the psalmist says, God be gracious to us and bless us, not so that we can hoard the blessings. Would you guys say that we're blessed in America? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we we don't really even grasp how blessed we really are, right? I mean, it looks like all of you came dressed today. Okay, so that's incredible. Um, We're blessed if you got clothes on your back. Uh, If you drank clean water this morning, you're blessed. If you have a college degree, you're blessed. The greatest blessing that God could give us isn't really a college education, clothes, or clean water. It's really the Gospel. What we can never do to fix our sin problem, God did for us. And the psalmist says, God, we need Your grace. And we want You to bless us. But it's not just for us. He goes on to say this. So that Your ways may be known on the earth Your salvation among what? God will bless us so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Share a quick story with you guys. Um, I'm from Arkansas, so it's just great to be anywhere. Um, thanks for letting us. Um, we invented Walmart, you're welcome. Uh, and you know, down in the south, I don't, I, I've been in the northwest for a little bit now. Uh, spent a few days in Seattle. And so I know that things are a little bit different in the northwest than they are down in the south. Um, Down in the South, you get a lot of cultural Christianity, um, and, uh, you know, it's kind of the Bible belt. And so, you know, down in the South, you guys, um, I don't know if there's a lot of Christian bookstores up in the Northwest, but down in the South, there are Christian bookstores everywhere. They're sort of a lot like Walmart or Target. It's kind of like a one-stop shop for all your Jesus needs. And um, they've got everything in there you can possibly imagine, from, like, Christian picture frames to Christian coffee mugs to Christian paperweights. Those are different than non-Christian paperweights. And, you know, they've got all this stuff in there, you can imagine. And so I remember one day, I decided that I wanted to learn a little bit more about what God was doing to reach the world. And so I thought, I'm going to go into a local Christian bookstore, and I'm going to find me a book on missions. And so I come into the Christian bookstore. Before long, I find myself caught between these two aisles. And I look down to my left, and there's a Jesus action figurine. And I was like, no way. (laughs) And I looked to my right, and there was a book that was like seven spiritual tips to your best home garden. I thought they got everything you can imagine in here and so I walked up to the counter and I just asked the guy at the counter I said excuse me sir can you please point me to the mission section and he looked at me and he said oh young man I'm sorry we, <laughs> we don't have a mission section because missions books don't really sell I said excuse me he said yeah I guess there's really not much of a market for them they don't really help keep the lights on <laughs> I said bro are you aware of the fact that you have dance dance praise in here And I know for some of you, you're not certain what that is. You can ask somebody later and they'll tell you. It's amazing, you guys, that from Genesis all the way to Revelation, from cover to cover, okay? 1,500 times. 1,500. God mentions His plan to gather the nations back to Himself. Over 1,500 times. From cover to cover. And yet, if you try to go find it in a Christian bookstore, it's special order. It's crazy, you guys. We see it not only in Psalm 67, but continuing into the Psalms. Psalm 86.9, all the nations that you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord. Psalm ninety-six-three: declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous work among all the peoples. You could use up a highlighter, just going through the book of Psalms, highlighting the nations, the people, all the earth, Gentiles. Over and over, as we transition out of the Old Testament into the New Testament, nothing changes. In fact, if you were to look at the miracle ministry of Jesus and you were to read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what you'll notice is that a large portion of Jesus' miracles are actually performed towards non Jewish people people from other nations, Gentiles, the Samaritan, well, in John 4, the centurion's servant healed. In Matthew 8, the feeding of the 4,000 Gentiles. In Matthew 15, the healing of the Canaanite's daughter. Over and over and over again. So how does it relate to us in 21st century America? You might be thinking, okay, what does Jesus' miracle ministry have to do with me? I'm just trying to figure out how to pay the bills, be a good husband, raise my kids, change the diapers, and make it through the week. And you're talking about the world. Okay? I'm just trying to survive. How does Jesus' miracle ministry apply to us today? Well, if we were to take these verses and apply them to us today, what we would notice is that if Jesus were to step into your community today, and He were to start His public miracle ministry, and He were to start performing miracles, what we learn based upon these texts is that a large majority of His miracles would actually be performed towards the internationals in this community. Not the Americans, the Hindus, the Buddhists, and the Muslims that are a door away from you, a desk away from you, that are working behind the counter at the coffee shop or at the grocery store. What we learn based upon these texts is that a large portion of Jesus' ministry would actually be done towards the internationals that are in this community. Not only does He model it with His life and the ministry that He performs... But he goes on to say it with his mouth. In Matthew twenty eight, eighteen through twenty, Jesus says, Go and make disciples of all the nations. In Mark sixteen, fifteen he says, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Luke twenty four, forty seven, forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations. John twenty, twenty one, as the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. Acts one eight, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and where? The ends of the earth. He models it with his life. And he says it with his mouth. These right here are the last words that we're aware of that Jesus spoke before he ascended back up to heaven to be with the Father. Last words we're aware of. He could have said anything he wanted to. But he wanted to be explicitly clear what we as his followers are to be about. And that's not only being transformed into the image of Jesus, but telling the world about who he is and why he came. In fact, it's all over in his apostle's life. In Romans 15, 20, the apostle Paul says this, it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I wouldn't be on someone else's foundation. Paul said, tell me where people have never heard the name of Jesus. And that's where I want to go share the truth of who he is, where they've never even heard his name. And so I'd be sitting in here this morning thinking, where do I fit into this thing? Okay, Sean, where do I fit in? Where's the puzzle piece of me that fits into this big picture of God? In Galatians 3, 13 and 14, Paul says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now things are personal. We're not talking about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon, Jesus, Paul, us. We're talking about us now. Paul says, Christ has redeemed us out from under the curse of the law the 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 law we could never keep christ came and died and if we put our faith in him and repent of our sins god says wipe your slate clean pull you out from under the curse of the law move you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light so that you might know me and so that in christ jesus the blessing and might come to who the gentiles Okay, the reason, you guys, that we get saved is not so that we can just get this ticket to heaven. Okay, The reason that we get saved is not just so that we can get this ticket to heaven. In fact, if that was true, which it's not, but if, if it was true that we just get saved so we can get a ticket to heaven, then the best thing for James to do it, at a baptism would just be to like hold you under water or whatever and send you straight to glory. <laughs> But that's not it. The reason God saves us is so that we might know Him, so that we might be still, know that He is God, and make our life ambition about exalting His name among the nations. The Gospel came to us because it's on its way to someone else. A neighbor away, a coworker away, a family member away, a state away, ultimately, to the ends of the earth. And the reason that we know that is because in Revelation 7-9, John, one of Jesus' closest followers, gets a vision into heaven, and he says this, After this I looked, John gets a vision into heaven, and he says, After this I looked, and there before me was this great multitude that no one could count. John gets a vision up into heaven and he says, there's so many people, I can't even put a number on it. But what I know is this. That there were people from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. Heaven's going to be like a multicultural Jesus party. Yeah, that's right. Some of you aren't sure if you're excited about that. Oh, cool. Neat. That's really neat. Multicultural Jesus party. You know, a lot of us, I think sometimes we sort of think that when we think about heaven, we think heaven's just going to be sort of like You know, full of just like white middle class Americans singing Chris Tomlin songs forever. (laughs) And I don't think that's entirely true. America makes up 5%, 5% of the world's population. 5%. I know personally from my own experience that the world is a very, very, very small place when I'm all wrapped up in myself. I know personally from my own experience that the world is a very small place when I am all wrapped up in myself. I want you to take a really good look at this verse, you guys. Because this right here is what all of human history is moving towards. All of human history is moving towards that verse right there. And here's what God's saying to you today. I don't need you I spoke the universe into existence. He's not a needy God. Okay? He's not like he's handcuffed up in heaven going, oh man, I <laughs> hope those people at first free do something. He's not. He's saying, hey listen, I don't need you, but I'm inviting you in to something this big. Unfortunately, this isn't what planet Earth looks like. There aren't people from every tongue, tribe, and nation who know and worship Jesus. In fact, um, about 50% of the world's population lives inside this little rectangular box here called the 1040 window. It gets its name from the two latitudes, the 10th and the 40 degree north latitude. It stretches from West Africa all the way over to East Asia. And uh, I know the stats are small there, so I'll read them to you. Roughly 2.4 to 2.6 billion, that's b billion unreached people live inside this box, unreached. That means they're almost completely cut off from access to the Bible. There's no Bible in their language, there's no church that exists where they hear the gospel, and there's nobody there who speaks their language well enough who can tell them about who Jesus is. A third of the world's population almost completely cut off from access to the gospel. Let that sink in. Not to make you feel guilty, but just to wake you up to reality, okay? Not to make you feel guilty, but just to wake you up to reality. In America, we spend a lot of time talking and speculating about Jesus' second coming when the reality is about a third of the world's population has never even heard of His first. I spent a summer in India in 2006, and I stood face-to-face with Hindu college students who had never even heard the name of Jesus let alone what He did. They didn't even know who He was. You ever heard of Jesus? Is that my neighbor? No. <laughs> no, That's the Son of God. They've never even heard His name. And so what God's saying to you guys here at First Free is this. Do you want to be a part of reaching that box? Through praying, through giving, through going, through welcoming the internationals that are in your community that come from that box, and through getting yourself educated, on what's going on in the world, okay? God's saying, do you want to be a part of something that big? Do you want to be a part of something that grand? And at the end of your life, when the last drop of sand falls through the hourglass and you stand before your Maker, will you be able to say, man, Lord, I leveraged all of my time, my talents, my resources, and my passions towards joining you and reaching that box and to hear from your Master, well done, good and faithful servant. John Piper, you guys may have heard of him. He's a pretty famous preacher in Minneapolis, Minnesota, says this, If we as a church are disobedient, it is not ultimately the cause of God and the cause of world missions that we'll lose. We can be drunk with private concerns and indifferent to the great enterprise of world evangelization. But God, God will simply pass over us and go do His work somewhere else with someone else while we shrivel up in our little land of comfort. If you're interested in learning more about what God's doing in the world, we want to invite you guys to come back this afternoon from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. We're going to do more training sessions. Three more training sessions. We're going to talk and teach for three hours, and we want to educate you and inform you, not only on what God's Word has to say about us to reach the world, but what God's world looks like, what's going on in the 1040 window. And we want to talk about specific ways that you here in Spokane can get involved on a global scale. It's God's agenda from Genesis to Revelation to reach the nations. And really the question that we have to be asking is if it's God's agenda from Genesis to Revelation to reach the nations, is that a good enough reason for it to be our agenda? Let me pray for us. We're done. Father, thank You again just for a chance to share with the new set of faces. And I pray that You would take what was said this morning and Lord willing what will be said this afternoon and use it. Uh, Use it to to set these people on fire. As we stand in a Methodist church, I'm reminded of John Wesley's words that he said, I would set myself on fire and people would come and watch me burn. And so I pray that You would set people on fire and that people all over the world would see the light of Jesus come out of this place. Would you work miracles in here today? I pray. Amen.
0: Right before Sean prayed, he says, we're done. I'm going to disagree with you, Sean. We are not done. We're, we're, I'm not going to do, <laughs> do a benediction because I don't think we're done this morning. I want to send you guys off to go get some lunch. And I want you guys to come back as many as possible at 1 o'clock. There'll be different sessions on the top of every hour. So if you need an afternoon nap, if you can't function without it, go home and take a short one, then come back at 2 or come back at 3 or come back at 1 and sleep from 1 to 2 here and then wake up from 2 to 3. Um, This was powerful. And on our website, our mission statement says we're about being disciples, making disciples. This is part of it. This is part of it. Great message this morning, Sean, and it will continue at one. Instead of doing a benediction, let's stand, let's sing the doxology together. When we're done with the doxology, I'm saying nothing else. I just expect you to go on out, get some lunch, and come back here at one o'clock. Let's sing together. Praise God.